Thanks for hanging in with me. Um, yeah, this is something that is not a natural strength for me, and it's something that I have to sit under the Word of God regularly and remind myself, okay, this is not what I would like to do, but the Word of God requires something else from me. Um, so we're going to, I've just left this gospel-shaped theme, um, and it's basically we're taking what we do and how we do it, and we're holding it under the light of the gospel again and saying, well, we're all being shaped by something, we're being formed by something, but is what I'm doing formed by the gospel? Um, does this look like the gospel? Does this show people who Jesus is? Um, and so, you know, hospitality is a kind of a strange topic, really. Uh, there's so many great things we've talked about, preaching and evangelism and compassion and hospitality, but we know that it's one of the main ways that people will know who we are and who Jesus is by how we relate to one another. Um, and I also think it's incredibly powerful in our current culture, and it's something we need to, to, to wrap our hands around again. So we're going to look at three main headings. What is hospitality? Why should we practice it? And how do we go about it? And I'm just praying that as we sit under the Word of God, that we would allow the Holy Spirit um, to bring correction and challenge where necessary, um, but He does not condemn us. He empowers us. Um, so what is hospitality? Well, it's it's very basic level. It's eating together and being together. That's what it is. We're going to look at a number of scriptures this morning. We're going to start in Romans 12, look at a few others, and then we're going to culminate in Romans 15, where um, Paul kind of completes that thought that he starts in Romans 12. You know, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached Romans for 12 years, but don't worry, I'm going to give it to you in 12 seconds. Are you ready? <laughs> So by, you know, by backstory, it is just profound and rich and theological. And the first half of the book, he spends telling us who God is and what God has done for us. He rescued us. He saved us. It's a gift of grace. We did nothing. That's what he spends the first half doing. And only then does he get into the outworkings of it. So one of the commentators said chapters 1 through 8 is salvation, 9 through 11 is sovereignty, and only in 12 to 16 do we get to service. Now, in this part of Romans, we're in the standing, the walking, the running, the working out of our salvation. This new life that has been put into us, we are now working out in new actions. But we cannot flip the order on this, because then we end up in legalism, and we end up in works. And that is unhelpful for so many reasons. So we have to keep the order straight. We do this because God has worked something into us. We don't do this to try and get approval, or because it's the polite thing to do. There's still some British in me, and we do what's polite. This is not why we do this. Um, so let's read Romans 12, verse 9 through 13. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And so often this injunction to hospitality follows the injunction to love one another. And we see that right here. This is what brotherly love is. 
work it out by being hospitable. Hospitality is an expression of love. And it can be described as having an open heart, an open hand, and an open home. So we're going to look at it through those three lenses quickly. So first of all, an open heart. Uh, Verse 9 through 10 says, don't just pretend to love each other. Let love be genuine. Really love each other. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So being hospitable means that you share yourself, not just your stuff. Um, And depending on our proclivities, we do one easier than the other. Um, Thessalonians, again, Paul says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. So we share who we are, not just what we have. And, but it's also important in this whole thing of what does love look like? What is genuine brotherly love? It says cling to good and hate what is evil. Our culture is trying to convince us that to love someone means we, we completely accept and celebrate every choice and every decision that they are making. And they feel unloved unless we completely endorse wherever they are. But here we see scripture doesn't say that. It says love while holding fast to what is good and abhorring what is evil. We love each other best by reminding each other of the truth and spurring each other on in the gospel. Brotherly love is genuine, it's affectionate, it's honoring. It's not sentimental, it's not superficial. um, And that's why we open our hearts, because we get to love each other. It's having an open hand. Um, Verse 13 of Romans 12 says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Be ready, be willing to contribute when our brothers are in need. And this requires that we've done some hard work on our part. It means we've sorted out our relationship with money. It means money is not where we put our trust. It means we don't have a poverty mindset. It means we're not irresponsible with our money. It also means that we're not just living within our means, but we're living slightly beneath our means so that we have margins to be generous when the saints are in need. And let me tell you, it's also not just limited to finances. Um, we get to think a little bit here about how we spend our time, too. There's so many ways that we can serve each other that are not financial. You rock a baby, mow a lawn, tutor a kid, pick up groceries, all the things that we've heard already this morning. This is a way that we can serve each other and contribute to the needs of the saints. So in thinking and doing the hard work, we need to sit and allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak into how we spend our time and how we spend our money. And then it's having an open home. Um, The scripture says, always be eager to practice hospitality. Be eager. The phrase means to go after, to pursue it. It it may not come as a surprise to many of you that I'm not a type A go-getter kind of person. But my my third child was wild and she taught me how to run. (laughs) I was telling Rachel that... On Sunday mornings, the doors next door would burst open and a runaway toddler would come triumphantly down the aisle with a, a mortified children's worker in her wake. You know, she, she was an escaper. I learned how to run. One of the times we were at a prayer meeting, we were the third story up over an open circle. 
I'm like, I'm watching her. Okay. Oh, wait. She's on a, she's over the, she's standing in the planters three stories up. I, I pursued that child. I learned what it meant to go after with some skill because you have to do it quick enough to save her life, but not so quick that she thinks this is a fun game. So, you know, pursuing is something that you do with intention and you're looking for it. You're not just saying, oh, maybe that'll come to me. You're looking, you're going after it. Let's be honest. This is not something we're going to drift toward. This is not our default setting because it's inconvenient. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work and we find ourselves on the path of least resistance unless we intentionally pursue something else. Biblical hospitality is costly. It just is because we're prone to selfishness. And this is asking us to engage rather than to hang back. It's asking us to open rather than to close off. It's hard because our culture, again, is pulling us towards isolation and separation, especially if people are different from us or awkward. Our culture says, just step away from that thing. It's difficult because we're creating. I love this phrase. Tyndale says it's a harborous disposition. When they translated hospitality, they said it's a harborous disposition. We're serving others because we're welcoming them in and we're caring for them. Um, Christine Pohl in her book says, although we often think of hospitality as a tame and pleasant practice, Christian hospitality has always had a subversive counter-cultural dimension. And so it's hard <laughs> because we're fighting a culture and we're fighting our flesh. So if it's hard, why do we do it? Great, here's the answer. <laughs> Second point, why do we do this? Well, first of all, it displays who God is. God is hospitable. He made room for us. He welcomed us. He provided for us. He desires to be with us. This idea of eating together and being together is one of the meta-narratives of Scripture. We see it through the whole story of the Bible. In Genesis, we see God planting trees for fruit, and we see him walking with them in the cool of the day. But as we know, as the story goes, they chose to eat a different fruit, and sin and mistrust entered the world, and they became separated from the presence of God. And in the story of Scripture, um, the consequences of our sin are um, often portrayed as a de-paradising. Our sin is described as us wandering in a, a barren and parched wasteland. And you see the outbringing of the old covenant, we cannot get it right to sort ourselves out and be able to enter into the presence of God. But and you see, Jesus came and he did it all. He did all the things. He restored and accomplished what we couldn't do. And that wonderful gift of salvation is, is depicted as a lavish banquet. In Isaiah 26, it says, On this mountain, the Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines, of select foods rich in flavor, of choice wines well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the veil that is veiling all peoples. He will shroud the shroud that's enshrouding all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe tears from every face. Revelation 3.20, look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. I will come in to be with him, and I will have dinner with them, and they will have dinner with me. This eating and drinking together 
is this wonderful picture of our salvation. And that's what her salvation does. It restores us to the original design of being together with God. So we trace the story um, through this garden of paradise, through the wasteland of sin, back to the marriage feast of the Lamb in the city of God. So hospitality displays who God is. Secondly, it advances the gospel. And it does it both for the believer and for the unbeliever. So for the unbeliever, you just have to think of all the stories um, where Jesus sat at table with unbelievers. So much so that twice in Luke's gospel, he was called a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they, they grumbled and said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. That was how intentional God was in sitting at table with unbelievers. He came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus did. And we get to partner with him in that. So we get to open our homes to our neighbors and our friends so they can open their hearts to the gospel. For the believer, I love this too, the gospel is not just what we believe at the point of our salvation. It's what we choose to believe every day of our lives. If we hit a wall, if we're stuck in something, we have to sit and think, what is it about the gospel that I'm not believing right now? How can I choose to believe the gospel again? And being together, being in homes together, provides an incredible opportunity for discipleship. We get to remind each other of the gospel. We get to spur one another on. Um, you know these stories, but sometimes it's good just to sit and, and see them from a slightly different perspective. Um, the Philippian church was birthed in Acts 16 and tells us the story of Lydia and then the jailer. There's the slave girl in the middle. But Acts 16, verse 14 to 15 says this. And also, it's just amazing. The Lord opened her heart, speaking to Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Further down in 30, after the jailer um, gets, is in the process, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. I'm sure you can imagine with me that there was a lot of talking, a lot of teaching, a lot of discipleship that happened as they sat and ate together in those homes. And out of this, one of the most generous and, and healthy churches of the New Testament is birthed. Priscilla and Aquila, Acts 18, um, starting at the beginning, it says, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth and he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They'd left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he. And every Sabbath found Paul in the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. They opened their home to him. Paul could preach the gospel. But further down, Paul has been in their home. They've seen him have opportunity to preach the gospel. He has also discipled them while they have had him in their home. And then later in the same chapter, it says a Jew named Apollos, a nature of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained the way of God to him more adequately. They had Paul in their home. They were discipled. They saw Apollos. Apollos, you come to my home. We're going to disciple you. Scripture later goes on to say that and Apollos was a great help to the churches, and he was discipled in a home. So it advances the gospel in believers. It also allows us to practice that harborous disposition that uh, Tyndale so wonderfully translated. Um, I mean, let's be honest, right? <laughs> this, this following of Jesus is, is hard. It's called a fight and a race for a good reason. Um, it's costly. It takes a lot out of us, and sometimes people are tired, and people are weary, and they just need a safe place where they can come and rest and refuel. Um, we've been in, in ministry 25 years. Um, there's a lot that's happened in 25 years. This year has been one where I've thought, oh, I don't know if I can anymore. It's just been a hard one. But I was over here, my folks... I'm sure some of you know, um, have advanced states of Alzheimer's and they need 24-hour care. And God has been very kind and he has not forgotten them. And they are in a safe place and I get to visit them every day. And um, I was there on a, a weekday and uh, the, some of the residents are in different stages of decline. And some of them you can still have a, a good conversation with. And one of the little residents, she is just the most dear little lady. She's, she's not five foot. She's 90 pounds. She's 95 years old. Um, and she's a believer. And I was just talking to her and, you know, asking about her family because she still has those memories. And in the middle of it, she turns to me. And this is what she said. She said, I, I just want to encourage you what this little 95-year-old lady says to me. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but like everything fell out of focus. And I was like, oh, God is speaking to me right now. And this little lady went on to tell me, you, we don't have to worry about things. God is always faithful. He's got all the blocks. He's moving things around. We don't have to sort things out. We, for about two minutes, she just went on and breathed courage and life and hope again into me. It was a harborous moment for my soul. And I was like, I would have missed this had we not been sitting together on a couch on a Wednesday afternoon. And we get to do that for each other. We get to speak truth and we get to breathe life and hope again into each other. We advance the gospel when our friends are stuck for a minute. Thirdly, we do it because it brings God glory. Um, I said we were coming back to Romans 15. Well, here's, here's our moment. We're in Romans 15. <laughs> and Paul is finishing this thought that he started in 12. And it starts in verse 1. Um, we who are powerful need to be patient with the weakness of those who don't have power and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good in order to build them up. Christ did not please himself. But as it was written, the insults of those who insulted you fell on me. Whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, 
so that we could have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? We have hope through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other, similar to Christ Jesus's attitude. That way you can glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together with one voice. So welcome each other in the same way that Christ also welcomed you for God's glory. So often when I think about people who are bringing God glory, I'm thinking of like really big platforms and really big circumstances. I'm not thinking of having somebody into my home on a Thursday night as bringing God glory. But that's what the scripture is telling me right here. I welcome you in. God is glorified. Another way of, of say, saying bring God glory is we're basically living in such a way that we're putting his beauty and his goodness on display. Um, and we welcome each other in again out of that um, brotherly love. And I love the way the scripture, I'm just going to fly through a couple of things here. It says, you know, we're to bear with one, in, with one another and be patient. <laughs> okay. We're commanded to forgive one another. Somehow we know that one. Okay, yes, for good Christians, we'll forgive. We also have to bear with. Um, and forgiving and bearing with are different. Forgiving is being patient with the things that are not sin, but may rub you the wrong way. Um, the things that are not your favorite, you get to bear with. Um, and let me tell you, in an increasingly polarized and angry culture, that's a remarkable thing. We have to fight for it, but it's very different to what's going on in the world out there. We're also to build one another up for their good, not for your convenience, for their good. We cling to what is good for their good, and we take instruction and encouragement from the Word of God. I'm just flying. We're to be humble. We're to be unified. We're to follow the example of Christ, and we do all of this for the glory of God. We glorify God by welcoming in and accepting one another because Jesus glorified God by welcoming in and accepting each one of us. What is it? Why do we do it? Okay, here we are, quickly. The nitty-gritties, the hows. My least favorite, but here we are. Brass tacks and in the weeds. So uh, we do it with a happy heart. It's not just enough to do it. It has to be with a happy heart. And you love scripture, man. They just say it as it is, right? In 1 Peter 4, 8, he says, Above all, show sincere love to each other. Again, that injunction to love, because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins, and open your homes to each other without complaining. In other words, people were complaining, right? So don't complain, don't grumble, don't resent it. Those are easy to do because it's costly, it's inconvenient, and it's unnatural. Let's be honest. And Who's to open their homes? All of us are to open our homes. All of us. It's not just for those who are gifted. It's not just for those whose homes are set up for it. It's not women. Twice in scripture, men leading in the leadership of God are called to hospitality. All y'all. Happy heart, you get to be hospitable. So we also do it with increasing proficiency. Some people do this really, really well. I was trying to think if I could sneak back into staff meetings again on a Tuesday just so I could have Renelle's lunch. You know, Renelle's got it. Shannon's got it. Kathy. There's lots of people who do it naturally well. 
Most of us do not. But that's okay. We're getting better at it. It's a skill that can be learned. And you can warmly and well, wonderfully welcome people in and be hospitable over takeout. Why? Because it's about hospitality, not entertainment. Many of you know Rosario Butterfield. She was an author. She basically started reading the Bible to disprove it. This wonderful couple invited her into their home just to journey through this and loved her and fed her. And she became remarkably saved. And she, she wrote the book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, and this is her quote. Entertainment is about impressing people and keeping them at arm's length. Hospitality is about opening your heart and your home. So we are hosting, not entertaining. So we do it with increasing proficiency. Do it where you are. Everyone. Everyone can put on the kettle and buy a box of cookies. Everyone can put out LaCroix and trail mix. And here's my trick. I promise you, I don't know why this works, but you put it on a tray and automatically it's fancier. Put it, charcuterie. It's crackers and cheese on a tray. It's fancy. It's fancy. Put it on a tray. If you don't have space in your home, you take someone to Starbucks. It's something we need to be in the habit of doing and looking for spaces to do it. You know, my, my cousins were here. My Irish cousin was here. He lives in Northern Ireland. I grew up in South Africa, but we, we spent almost every year together. We were just reminiscing over memories and what do you remember about granny and what do you remember about auntie so-and-so. And, and all of our memories were around food because we feel nurtured and cared for when somebody feeds us. It doesn't have to be fancy. My granny worked at a soda factory and she brought home the soda bottles. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're on your own there. <laughs> Another tip for just starting where you are is give attention to, at to atm atmosphere and attitude. Those are two different things. Depending on your proclivity, you'll do one easier than the other. Some people that Atmosphere is not a problem. I'll light a candle, I'll scrub a toilet, I'll throw some things on a tray, no issue. Those same people, whoever they might be, those people have to spend a little bit more time working on their attitude and making sure that they've sorted out their hearts so that people will feel well wanted and loved when they come in. Again, Butterfield says, knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from ministry. It means that you need to prepare for it differently than others might. Um, and then we do it in our own spheres. So a lot of you are still in the workplace. You can be hospitable at work. Do you know that 80% of American office workers admit to desktop dining? It's a thing if there's a name for it, right? So it's a thing. People eat at their desktop. They're not engaging with each other anymore. You can say to a coworker, hey, come with me. We're going to go have lunch together. I'm hosting you. It's in a third place, but I'm inviting you in. I'm prepared to care for you. If you do it in your life station, if you're with toddlers, at a park, grab an extra water bottle. If you're on sidelines at a sports field, grab an extra snack. Find a parent, learn to draw people in. We're hosting in little ways in every sphere. So we do it in our own space. We also do it together. Life groups, you all know. And then Sunday mornings are an incredible opportunity for us to co-host together. This room of all rooms knows about serve teams and coming early and sweeping floors and laying out tablecloths and pouring coffee and welcoming children. What are we doing? 
we're creating an attitude and an atmosphere to welcome in our friends and our city so that they can open their hearts a little bit more to Jesus. Okay, we went right into the weeds. We're coming back out again. <laughs> Thanks for, for hanging with me. I want us to end with um, our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's look again. Everything and anything that we do has to be for Jesus. So let's look, Jesus, let's look at the cross, the most hospitable moment in all of history. Jesus opened his heart. He held nothing back from us. Out of the greatest of love, he knew that he would be betrayed and abandoned, and he still opened his heart to us. He literally opened his hands. Jesus was nailed to that cross where he gave his all. He gave everything he had and paid the ultimate price. And at the cross, Jesus opened his home again to us. A way was made for us to dwell again with God in paradise for what we were originally designed. Jesus is the great host and we get to mirror just a little bit of that in our everyday lives. Um, I'm, we're going to take communion, whoever's doing it. Because um, communion is just such a wonderful picture of eating and drinking together in the presence of God. And it, just as we do it, just I want to put two thoughts in your head as we take communion. We've been invited and welcomed in as family. Jesus brought us all the way in. We take the bread and we take the wine. And we remember that Jesus was the host at the Last Supper but he ultimately became the meal himself that fed us. And today we eat and drink now in the presence of God, but we long for the day when we will be fully in the presence of God at the marriage feast of the Lamb.